I think that they've been messing around with reproductive justice long enough. Let's not do this. There's no reason to be doing this right now. You know, every time I turn around and I'm reading statutes, I, I see another requirement that, that even I imposed when I was in the House. We're on the edge now of something that is something akin to the internet all over again. From the fourth floor of the Capitol Rotunda, you're listening to WFSU Public Media's Capitol Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan. Funding for Capitol Report is provided by the following. The Florida AFL-CIO, representing over 1 million union members, retirees, and their families, committed to building a better future for all Floridians by promoting healthy communities, economic justice, and dignity in the workplace. Online at flaflcio.org. Among today's capital action, after the Alabama Supreme Court recently ruled in a wrongful death case that frozen embryos count as children, Florida has pushed pause on a bill that many opponents worried could result in similar outcomes here. But as Regan McCarthy reports, the reasons the bill isn't moving forward this session are varied. Last year, as State Representative Jenna Persons Mullica drove to Tallahassee for legislative meetings, her thoughts often drifted to her advancing pregnancy. If I was in a terrible car accident due to the wrongful act or negligence of someone else, and I lost my child, the child I talked to every day, I cared for in my womb, and to lose a child in your womb on top of losing your child. And when I looked at the statute and found out if that scenario happened, I wouldn't be able to go after damages to try to make a little bit of my loss right. To me, that's a wrong and a travesty in our statutes. This year, Persons Molica filed a bill to address that. It would have allowed parents to recover damages for the loss of a pregnancy due to a wrongful act. The measure also defined the term unborn child as starting from the moment of conception, but specified the fetus must be in the womb. Even with that language, reproductive health advocates worried the measure could limit access to in vitro fertilization by creating a chilling effect for providers who could potentially be held liable as soon as embryos are implanted. They also raised concerns it would open the door to greater harassment of abortion providers and could be used as a vehicle to grant more rights to fetuses. Davie Democratic Senator Lauren Book spoke about the measure before its final committee hearing. I will not rest as a mom who had to utilize assisted reproductive technology. This is a reproductive rights issue. This is not somewhere where we need to be right now. I think that they've been messing around with reproductive justice long enough Let's not do this. There's no reason to be doing this right now. Before that final meeting could start, Senate bill sponsor Aaron Grawl asked for her bill to be put on hold, essentially nullifying it this session. In a statement, she says she wanted more time to work on the measure to be sure lawmakers, quote, got the policy right. It's a move Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo told reporters she supports. She says while many worried the measure was focused on issues relating to abortion and reproductive health, She saw it as a bill about who can sue who. But even with that understanding, she had concerns about the measure. Since the bill defines unborn child from the moment of conception, she says that would allow parents to sue for the loss of a pregnancy they didn't even know existed, a concept she questions. She says she's more comfortable with the idea of parents collecting damages after a pregnancy is further along. It needs more work because I understand if you're 
you know, six, seven months pregnant and, and that incident occurs, uh, or you're in, a, you're in a car and somebody crashes into you and if a drunk driver or whatever, and you lose the baby, that's one thing. But if, if, if it's so early on, you don't even know. Pasadomo says she thinks the bill needs more work to more narrowly specify when damages could be collected. But she praised the lawmakers for their work on the measure and says she expects to see similar legislation next year. I'm Regan McCarthy. After more than a month of talks, the Florida legislature appears poised to cut some of the red tape on public schools. Lynn Hatter reports the first of a package of bills dubbed Learn Local has gained bipartisan approval. Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo thanked her House counterparts for taking up the bill. She notes this year's push for public school deregulation has come after years of those schools saying the state has created an unlevel playing field with charters, even though in Florida, charter schools are public schools. Our staff spent the whole summer going through the book of regulations that we impose on our traditional public schools and found a lot of archaic um, requirements that really are not necessary. So the proposal is Senate Bill 7002, and it deals with removing many financial and construction rules and regulations on public schools, thus giving them greater ability to manage their budgets and costs in ways they see fit. It's a marked change from what the legislature is accustomed to, which is imposing more requirements on public schools and districts, not less. Pasadomo describes the process as a mindset shift. These are the kind of things that are going to continue over time because you have to, you know, every time I turn around and I'm reading statutes, I, I see another requirement that, that even I imposed when I was in the House on our traditional public schools. So we have to get a different mindset and that'll happen over time, I think. The measure's approval has come after more than a month of talks between the Florida House and Senate as the chambers have carefully negotiated on what rules and regs stay and which ones go, says Republican Representative Alex Rizzo of Hialeah. There was a lot of negotiation, a lot of, of conversation with our Senate partners, and we've done a lot. I've heard from a lot of members as to can we go further. We can. All you have to do is file a bill or talk about it but we can do it together. Still, there's more to be done. Next up, Chambers will take up a bill that deals with the state's school testing and accountability system. I'm Len Hatter. Who will police the police? That's the question at the heart of a debate over citizen police review boards, which the Florida legislature is poised to abolish. Margie Menzel reports. The Florida House has passed a bill that would limit the power of civilian oversight of law enforcement or correctional officers. Few of the current boards have subpoena power. Most can make recommendations or monitor internal investigations. There are 21 Florida cities with active civilian oversight boards appointed by the mayor or city government. But under this preemption measure, House Bill 601, the state would decide who handles investigations and misconduct cases. At the center of the argument is how much power these boards have. It is a very real thing that our communities have historically had mistrust. And these boards create a transparency that is needed, I think, now more than ever. Democratic Representative Kevin Shambliss of Homestead says when people can participate and ask questions, it builds trust. We have to make sure that the community knows that 
they can trust the police. But if we do not have the ability to ask questions about things that happen, then the communities trust it lessens. Republican Representative Wyman Duggan of Jacksonville is the bill's sponsor. I understand the uh, sentiment that they help build community trust. They will be able to continue talking about policies, procedures, training, culture, systemic abuses, patterns and practices of behavior. All they will not be able to do is receive, process, and investigate instances of misconduct. Republican Representative Danny Alvarez of Hillsborough County deplores the idea that a civilian oversight board could have subpoena power. No one here would ever, and I mean ever, argue that civilians don't have the right to be involved in the policing of their community. What this bill simply says is have your civilian review boards, get them involved with your community, but they do not have the power to conduct subpoena investigations, which unfortunately are being done as we speak and requested every day. But instances of police misconduct, say bail opponents, is where the issue of transparency is most crucial. Supporters of HB 601 say there are already plenty of layers of transparency, starting with police agencies' internal administration and the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. But Democratic Representative Michelle Rayner of St. Petersburg rejects the idea that there are two sides in this debate. There is will be a distinction that says that if we want civilian review boards that we don't support law enforcement. I want to be very clear, that is not the case. What we support is good law enforcement. What we support is transparent law enforcement. What we support is law enforcement who understand they are to protect and serve all of the community, not just some of the community. HB 601 passed the House 87 to 29. It's now waiting to be heard in Senate rules. I'm Margie Menzel. Several Democratic lawmakers joined around 100 transgender and non-binary Floridians at the state capitol today, protesting what they described as a multi-year attack on the existence of transgender people. Legislation scheduled to be heard by the full House tomorrow would require driver's licenses and identification cards to reflect a person's sex assigned at birth and impose requirements for insurers who cover treatments such as hormone therapy for transgender people. However, with lawmakers in the eighth week of the nine-week legislative session, the Senate does not have a similar bill. State Representative Anna Eskimani told those at the rally she's optimistic the legislation won't pass this year, but she says anything can happen over the final week and a half of session. It's not over till it's over. Anything can happen in this Capitol until Sine die. So I'm going to encourage everyone here to keep the pressure up. Another bill that would have restricted the types of flags flown at schools and other public buildings also appears to be dead in the Florida Senate. The flag bill has drawn controversy as opponents contend it's designed at least in part to prevent display of LGBTQ pride flags. The 2024 legislative session is scheduled to end a week from this Friday. The Florida House has passed a bill that would make it a crime to not be forthcoming about the use of AI in political advertising. Tristan Wood reports the measure comes as AI has been used to copy national politicians. Ahead of the New Hampshire primaries last month, calls were made to voters using fake AI-generated audio 
meant to sound like President Joe Biden. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. Hialeah Republican Representative Alex Rizzo says his bill will ensure that voters aren't tricked by artificial intelligence like the Biden incident. The measure would require the label, created in whole or in part with the use of generative artificial intelligence, to appear on ads where it is used. And so we're on the edge now of something that is something akin to the Internet all over again. So imagine what the Internet did for our lives and, and changed the world about 30 years ago when it really started. That's what's going to happen with AI in our, in our regular lives. Violators could be fined thousands of dollars and be subject to a misdemeanor. Those in charge of a political committee or the candidate responsible for the message would be subject to punishment under the law. The issue is a bipartisan one. House Democratic Leader Fentrice Driscoll says she supports the political advertisement disclosure and other attempts to regulate AI. Artificial intelligence is here. It's here to stay. And we have to be thoughtful and intentional about how we deal with it. Orlando Democratic Representative Anna Escamani supported the bill, but says it doesn't go far enough. She is concerned that it won't be able to stem the impact of 501c4s, groups that can make political ads that do not have to disclose who is behind it. She is concerned those groups would be able to drop an ad using AI days before an election. As someone who has been, you know, the receiver end of, of negative mail, especially my first campaign where I had 25 pieces of negative mail attacking me, um, imagine what that's like with AI. I mean, it's just incredibly alarming. This impacts every political party and every level of government. The bill still needs approval from the Senate. I'm Tristan Wood. The Republican-controlled Florida Senate voted today to approve a proposal that would ask voters in November to ditch a program that has given more than $33 million in state matching money to gubernatorial and cabinet candidates over recent election cycles. The proposed constitutional amendment, which still would need House approval to go on the ballot, seeks to do away with a campaign matching funds program that voters approved in 1998. Under the program, statewide candidates can receive matches for individual contributions of $250 or less. In exchange, candidates agree to abide by certain campaign expenditure limits. When created, the state matching funds program was promoted as a way to reduce the influence of big money contributors by helping underfunded candidates compete in costly statewide elections. But critics, including bill sponsor Travis Hudson, have long described it as welfare for politicians. It can be used for various different things, uh, but in terms of helping someone run their campaign, I, I just don't think it's a wise use of taxpayer dollars. But the good news is it wouldn't be up for me to decide it's going to be on the ballot should we pass it. Matching funds are not available for contributions to political committees or outside of statewide races. A 2010 ballot proposal to eliminate the program failed when it got 52.5 percent of the vote, short of the required 60 percent for approval. In the 2022 election cycle, Governor Ron DeSantis received $7.3 million from the state for his re-election bid, while Charlie Crist, the Democratic gubernatorial candidate, picked up just about $3.9 million from the state. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, Margie Menzel, and Tristan Wood. Shows are available Monday through Thursday by 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, wherever you get your podcasts. 
On many of these Florida public radio stations, you can tune in each Friday to catch the latest on all things happening at the Capitol. That show's also available in podcast form. Technical assistance comes from Taylor Cox, and I'm Tom Flanagan. This is Capitol Report, the podcast from WFSU Public Media. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. The Florida AFL-CIO, representing over 1 million union members, retirees, and their families, committed to building a better future for all Floridians by promoting healthy communities, economic justice, and dignity in the workplace. Online at flaflcio.org. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.